You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. In the last episode, we closed up Paul's first section of his doxology, his his praise of this great triune God and the work that he has planned in and through his church. In verse 15, he makes a transition to to talk a little bit about what he wants to see in this church and what his prayers are for this church. And so in verse 15, he says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. In verse 15, Paul points back to the section before and says, for this reason. For what reason? Because the triune God has chosen us, because the triune God has redeemed us, and because the triune God blesses us. For that reason, I have heard of the faith, of the trust you have in King Jesus, this trust that exists among your entire body, you the first to hope in Christ, And that you just don't have a hope and a trust in God's work through King Jesus. But that you have a love for all of the saints. It shows that they have a new perspective of how they view the world. They don't view the people in their church as sinners in need of redemption. What they see is they see saints who have been already brought to a new identity and need support in living into this newness of life. And they don't just don't have a, hey, I'm going to support you and I'll be there for you. They have a love for all the saints, a sacrificial desire, an agape that says, I cherish you, I view you as more important than myself, and I will do everything I can to help you in that process. Paul doesn't just see that in them out of nowhere. He sees it in them because he mirrors this in his leadership. He doesn't cease giving thanks for these people, and he makes mention of them in his prayers. The church, in its leadership and in our followership as well, is supposed to be a place where we as believers pay attention to the growth of others' faith, that they see them growing and developing, and that they are there to support them and encourage them and lift them up and give what they need so that they can go further in this process to bring God glory by being the people that he's asked them to be. Because of this commitment to each other, they're thankful 
How often do you hear that in churches? Most often it's on the other side. People complain, they gossip about the other people who are part of their body. That's not the way the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be thankful for the gifts and the calling and the differences that have been brought to us. Sometimes these differences honestly are going to drive us crazy because that's just a different type of person that works in a way that we aren't bent along that direction. But God uses all of us as his body in different parts to be able to bring him glory. And not only do we need to be thankful, but we need to be in prayer, asking God to do good work in them, to know what's going on in their life and in their family. Could you imagine what the church would be like if we just followed Paul's example? And that was something that we actually lived in. What is Paul's prayer, though? Paul prays in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Paul says, you know what? I, I want you to remember that this is the triune work. And so I ask the triune God to do His work in you and to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Scholars debate on whether it's to be given a spirit that has that or to be given the spirit. If God's spirit becomes what unifies us and makes us like Him, then it becomes in both and, either or. It is by the gift of the spirit who has all the wisdom of God and all the revelation of God and knows God intimately that we are transformed, that our own spirits are filled up with that wisdom, that revelation, and that experiential knowledge of this great and good God. What Paul wants is he wants us to be so in tune with the Spirit, so led by the Spirit, that we grow in wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to appropriately live based on information we've gotten. How many of us in the church have heard so many sermons, so many Sunday school stories? We have every answer you could possibly ever give us, but we do not live wise lives. Why? Because we don't live lives under the control of God's Spirit, the one that has been given to us to bring blessing and to bring us together and to accomplish God's purposes. When we live under the Spirit's direction, we not only grow in wisdom, knowing the right thing to do in the right moment, but we also have revelation. We see more deeply layers of God's glory become unpacked for us. And that revelation helps us to see more clearly what is to be done. And this is supposed to be done in knowledge of Him. Not just, here's more information about Jesus, but done in experience with him, done in lived relationship. What Paul's prayer is, is that the church would be a place that would not fill people's brains up more, but it would be a place that fills people's hearts up more through their brains, through their emotions, through their experiences, so that God becomes more real. And as he becomes more real, they know how to live with him and for him. And as they go down that road, they live more deeply. God does not become boring. He becomes a great mystery that they dig deeper and deeper into, and they find themselves transfixed 
by the knowledge of him. That's why he asks in verse 18 for the eyes of their hearts to be enlightened. What's insightful here is that he doesn't pray for enlightenment or lightning to happen out in the world or for the spirit just to bring a light and show what's going on there. He asks that God's spirit would enlighten their hearts, the eyes of their hearts, so that they would see the darkest place in all of creation, which is the human soul. In Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah the prophet says, The eyes of the Lord look and they discern the heart, because the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? But the Lord searches it and he knows it. Paul's prayer is that we would understand ourselves. That's one of the hardest things to be able to grasp. What if the church could be a place where we see ourselves through the leading of the Spirit, through the teaching of the Spirit, through the experiences of the Spirit, that we would see who we really are, the good and the bad and everything else in between, and that we would be able, as we see ourselves, to be able to experience these last three things that Paul prays for. He prays, I just don't want you to see your heart so you can see your heart, John. He then moves to a plural throughout all of these. I want you to be able to see yourself so that you all, all you all, will know what is the hope of his calling. In modern day language, why in the world did God call us together in this body? Why these people? Why are we here? What's his purposes for us? What do I need to learn from that person? What do I need to give to that person? Where do we need to work together? Where do we need others? Oftentimes, all that we see the church as is a place where we can receive our own insights about ourselves, where we can be blessed and have our own hearts and our own lives filled up and move off to do whatever we want to do. And Paul says, that is not why God has done his great work. He's done it so that he can bring you together. And I want you to be sitting there on Sunday morning worship. I want you to be talking to that person in your community group. I want you to be with this body going, why? Why us? Why us in this place? What is the calling that he has for us. What, what's God's hope in this? Not only that, but I want you to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, in modern terms, why are we, this group of people I see around me, why are we so valuable to him and his work? He doesn't say that there's an inheritance for his saints. He says that God's inheritance is in his saints. By us being joined together, by us being redeemed, by us being his people, we are building his kingdom. We are building his glory. We are bringing his goodness to a world in a way that no other group of people ever could and ever will. What is he trying to do in and through us? How great could that be? Especially if we get the last point, which is, and I want you to know what is the surpassing greatness of, of his power toward or through us.
who believe. How much power do we have as the church? Which in some ways could be an incredibly damning statement. How much power do we have available to us that we don't even access or use? It, it would be like saying, seeing a bunch of superheroes out of the Marvel comics standing around and going, man, I hope the world gets saved. Yet they've been given every gift that is needed, especially if they work in tandem with each other to defeat all the powers of darkness. And Paul is going to build this thought throughout the book to the Ephesians. What kind of power has he given his church, his people, his body to do a miraculous world-changing work that is beyond our comprehension because the God who lives and rules and reigns for all of eternity would look to our work as his glorious inheritance that he built in and through us. God has great plans for his church. And with Paul, I pray that the eyes of your heart and my heart will be enlightened so that we will be able to see all that God has planned for us. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.